Thanks for tuning in to Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz, and today we're continuing our discussions with candidates who are in primary runoffs. We want to remind you several times that they have been rescheduled. They were originally planned to take place in May. They will now take place July 14th. And one of those very important races has to do with Texas State Board of Education seat six. We are joined on the air with one of the candidates on the Democratic side, Michelle Palmer. Welcome to our airwaves. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on here. Um, again, my name is Michelle Palmer. I'm a teacher. I've been a teacher since uh, 2009. Um, I have taught elementary, middle, and high school. I have taught um, English, uh, reading, writing, um, SAT prep, math, and I'm now in what was my dream job, the reason I became a teacher, which is high school social studies. And I um, am a little tired of the way that the State Board of Education politicizes our curriculum so very, very much. And so I tried to find somebody to run for this position all of 2018 uh, while I was working on other campaigns and nobody would step up. So I decided to go ahead and run. Um, other people did join me in the primary, but none of them were uh, the type of education advocate, public school education advocate that I really want to see in that position. So I decided to continue running, even though other people did join the race. Because you're in social studies in the high schools, we're going to have a lot to talk about as far as ethnic studies. We also want to update people on what schools will look like post-COVID-19 shutdown you're in a primary runoff with Kimberly McLeod for the Democratic side of the ballot. And then after July 14th, one of you will continue to the November election for the Republican candidate for Texas State Board of Education, and that is Will Hickman. I'll also add that the outgoing representative was Donna Bohorich, who is Republican. She is retiring. She's not seeking uh, another term. And we worked with her, debated with her sometimes and agreed with her sometimes when we're advocating for Mexican-American studies. So I want to start off our questions with that. Um, obviously, we support Mexican-American studies. We're celebrating that it got passed uh, by Texas State Board of Education. And we're celebrating right now that just recently the Texas State Board of Education also endorsed African-American studies. Wanted to ask, what role should ethnic studies play in the curriculums for Texas public schools? Excellent question. Um, so, first of all, I remember when you were writing the Mexican American Studies textbook that you put forth uh, for the state to adopt, and I helped you with a little bit of the tweaks on um, on editing uh, to make sure it fit all of the requirements that the state wanted. Um, so, thank you for all of the work that you did to um, make certain that our students uh, could see them their own history represented in that curriculum. I very much appreciated that. Um, I think it's amazing that both of those courses have been approved. I am very hopeful that both of them will um, will have a lot of students who who fall in love with those courses and fall in love with history in general as a history teacher. I think that's very important. Um, However, in my opinion, 
most of the people that really need to learn about African-American studies and Mexican-American studies are the people that would never choose to take those courses. So one of the things that I would like to see happen, as much as I love Texas and I am a Texan, I was born and raised here, I think that seventh grade Texas history should cease to exist. Texas history should just be folded into U.S. history. U.S. history should become three years instead of two. That way it would be seventh, eighth, and eleventh grade. And by increasing the amount of time we spend on it, we could increase the number of people and number of events from African American studies, Mexican American studies, women's history, uh, Native American history, and Asian American history that um, really get ignored in our current U.S. history curriculum. I think that it's great that we have this specialized course that, these, that the students can now, or two specialized courses that the students can now choose to take part in, but every student in Texas should be hearing about the amazing things um, that Mexican Americans and Native Americans, women, African Americans, um, and Asian Americans have put forth in this country uh, that are so often ignored, and the horrible things that have been done to those groups of people. Um, both are incredibly important for every student to learn. I think it's the only way that we can get people to truly understand the, um, well, the white privilege that so many of us that are white have and to accept that it truly is something that exists and um, to accept that systemic racism is, is truly, uh, again, something that exists and something that we need to work towards getting rid of. That's powerful. That really is encouraging to find out how you want to revitalize history in Texas education. One thing I think the plan you just broke down helps is that we should be creating leaders who can avoid cultural crises instead of basically creating these clashes. What are the benefits for students of, of ethnic studies across the board? I think that um, the benefit of taking a cultural studies course that is not your own culture is that it opens your mind to things that happened in the world that your family experienced or didn't experience, but may have experienced from one side and see that there truly are two sides. Um, I mean, my family has been in the United States for uh, 150 years, I guess. And we have partaken due to my white privilege um, even though my family wasn't wealthy and didn't own slaves, we still benefited from that. We benefited from, and we benefited from Jim Crow. We benefited from every aspect of systemic racism. And I think that by taking various cultural classes in college, that was able to open my eyes to a lot of that, um, and a lot of people aren't going to choose to take those classes in college, but by ha having them in courses that they cannot avoid, I think that it allows for the opening of minds that 
may not occur in any other way. And by, I guess, forcing the issue in a way, it will make, in my opinion, our society a more equitable place. Because when we see the horrors that our ancestors visited upon various groups of people, whether that be African-American, Mexican-American, Asian-American, or women, or Native American, it allows us to understand that that systemic racism that still exists in our culture, um, that has always been, or maybe not always, but certainly for hundreds and hundreds of years uh, around, uh, affects us still today. Those are great insights, and I think it shows that you understand how education works fundamentally. This also touches on all the evidence that was used during the court cases overturning the ban of ethnic studies in Arizona, where every single study that have, has been conducted proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that students who take cultural studies basically do better in other courses, understand themselves more profoundly, and are more inspired to go to class regardless of background. I think that is fantastic because we are about to have to really focus on our curriculum, our students, and how we teach. How do you think classrooms from now on will be changed because of the shutdown? Well, I think that teachers who have pushed back against technology in their classrooms are obviously having to accept it. There's no other way to teach at this point. So I am, I am hopeful that they will continue that once we are able to go back to school, whether that's in August or next January or 2022, as I've heard from some health experts. I think that technology in the classroom is here to stay. I have thought that for a really long time. I think that teachers that disallow technology um, in their classrooms, other than, you know, using a PowerPoint um, to teach, they are ignoring the fact that our students' brains don't even look the same way that our brains look. When students of today are given brain scans, the technology that they have used literally almost from birth has, has changed the way their brains look. And if their brains are not the same, we obviously cannot use the same techniques that were used to teach us. It literally does not work. Um, the sage on the stage, us standing at the front and just lecturing to our students, they're not learning that way. They are not even paying attention. Um, even your best students have relatively short attention spans compared to us. Most of, even my GT students can't sit through an hour and a half movie and, you know, on a topic there, you know, a, a movie they like, they can't sit through the whole thing without touching their phone. So we need to make sure that we are teaching in small snippets, that we are stopping regularly to check for understanding. And I think that technology um, is great for that because there are so many apps out there and programs out there that have been created mostly by millennials and younger 
um, that are allowing us to engage with our students in a completely different way. And I think that many of those were already being used by a lot of, especially the younger teachers in classrooms, but more of them are going to be used. I think that this is going to fundamentally change the way that we teach, but also as far as the State Board of Education is concerned, I think it's going to change the curriculum because my district has basically um, decided, okay, these are the most important concepts you need to teach in your course. Make sure those are taught by the end of the school year and that your students get it. And that's what we'll test on or, uh, you know, assess on, not really test. Um, I think that the State Board of Education has already been what they, what they call streamlining the curriculum, um, trying to get it to where instead of 250 standards in a course uh, that you have to teach in a school year, it's, it's less wherever they can. And I think that's going to have to continue, um, but to a more extreme degree. Michelle, you may have been delivered to your era. <laughs> and I think what's, as you described it, the sage on the stage approach was not working anyway. And now it can't even be applied. Having said that, we're going to leave a lot of students behind. So what are some of the barriers that will keep some of those students from participating with this forced change that we're all undergoing? That is an excellent point. Um, my district, Aldine, is the district in the Houston area that has the highest percentage of homes that do not have Wi-Fi. 40% of Aldine students do not have Wi-Fi. They don't have Wi-Fi. They're not going to be doing my work. So I have noticed that many of the districts, I don't know about all, um, but many of the districts, including mine, have a policy where um, their grade cannot be any lower than it was when they left. So if they had an 87 and they have done zero work this nine weeks since we came back from spring break or didn't come back from spring break, um, their grade is exactly what it was when they left. It cannot go any lower. Um, now, if they do the work and they raise the grade, then that's that's amazing. Um, the other thing we have been told is to, to grade kind of easy, to don't grade as though they're in the classroom because they don't have the supports um, they don't have a quiet classroom to work in. They don't have, um, you know, a lot of the things, they don't have a teacher there to ask questions uh, 24 hours or the entire time they're working, I won't say 24 hours a day. But um, I will say that as far as what we need to do to catch those students up, when we do come back, we're going to have to spend a lot of time right before the kids come back, whenever that is, figuring that exact thing out. Um, are we going to spend um, the first six weeks teaching them everything they were supposed to have learned in the last six weeks, um, you know, or integrating that into um, the curriculum? I teach a, I, I'm teaching world geography, so my students not getting every single aspect of um, world geography that we're covering this nine weeks is not going to hurt them. Um, unless they become a geographer, which let's be honest, that's not going to happen. Um, but some classes, especially English and math, especially our EL students, our, our English learners, 
they are going to suffer by not having that English class for all of this time. They're probably not watching TV in English and reading books in English at home. And they are the ones that are really going to suffer here. We have, in my school, um, every teacher is calling their homeroom uh, students at least once a week. And we are, you know, trying to make sure that they have access. Um, Aldine has opened up all of the Wi-Fi's in the, the schools in the uh, district. And they have also, during the school day, well, from 8 to 2.30, uh, which is what we're calling our school day right now, um, they have stationed buses that have Wi-Fi in neighborhoods that don't have schools so that kids can sit near those buses and, you know, use their phones. Or um, many of them were able to pick up Chromebooks. My school is the only school in the district, actually, that every student has a laptop uh, because my school, the the blueprint of the school is that every student is required to have a laptop. So the school provided them to them. Um, so we have about 20 that did not come and pick their laptops up when we provided that opportunity. Um, and some of them were dropped off at their houses because they just weren't able to get there. But a few still haven't contacted us and haven't answered their phones when we've contacted them. Those students, some of them are, are EL students. There are students that they need that support. Um, if they ha do have their computer, then they have access to literally 100,000 online books, um, as well as the assignments that teachers are putting online. Uh, my district's policy is that each teacher put two assignments per week. We would normally have probably 10 assignments per week, or well, maybe not, maybe seven assignments per week. Um, so we're doing two assignments per week, and we're only grading one. So uh, students will only have five grades for this entire nine-week period. And, um, and again, their grade cannot go down. It can only go up. However, math is where we're really worried. Be even though the students don't have to take the star this year, um, they're going to have to get ready for their future math classes. And math and English, more than anything else, add on to each other. So if a student doesn't understand these end concepts in algebra, how are they going to do in geometry next year? Obviously, the geometry teacher is going to have to spend the first few weeks really reteaching that algebra um, curriculum. There's just no other alternative. My school does have what's called a summer bridge, which is a week where we bring the kids in to uh, get the freshmen used to um, our campus and, and our policies and so forth. Maybe we're going to have to bring back everybody um, and do some refresher courses during that week, like a mini summer school. Um, other schools may have to do the same, but that's all assuming that we come back in August. I don't actually think we will. I think we're going to have a res most experts, health experts, think that we're going to have a resurgence of this in the fall, and we're we're probably not coming back in August. But um, that makes it difficult to say what we will do. We're recording this before it airs, and it will air on April twenty eighth. Just in case some of the issues we're addressing have been solved or are exacerbated. 
and we got to point that out now and then just because everything in this era changes daily to weekly. Do want to give you a chance to to freely tell us about your platform and passions. Before we get to that, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'd love to think of this as an introduction to your campaign. One, would you come back and chat on the air about more of these issues? And secondly, we had been planning prior to the shutdown to do some town halls and or debates. Would you be open to participating in those? And of course, we, you can't control if if the other candidates participate or not. So perhaps all the candidates would be there, or perhaps it's just you. But uh, would you come back to the show? Would you participate in any town hall we might organize? I would say yes to both. Um, I would be um, very willing to come back and talk about any. I love talking about this stuff. I'm a, um, a policy wonk. I love policy and debating about any political policy, especially education policy. And as far as um, town hall, absolutely. I'll be participating in one with, I think, the spring Democrats um, coming up soon. I don't remember exactly what the date is, but absolutely. Fantastic. Well, in closing, I'd like to give you a chance to tell our listeners about your passions, your main goals, and why you decided to run. All right. Um, I decided to run because I couldn't find another uh, public education advocate that was willing to do it. Um, They all kept telling me to do it, so I am doing it. Um, My passions, um, I have been uh, a precinct chair in the Democratic Party uh, for a while and and registering voters. I always register all of my students when they turn 18. We make a big deal of it in my school. I, um, I love being involved in anything that uh, is social justice related and making sure that my students understand that uh, they have power and how to wield that power and find others who are also wielding their power. I think that it is incredibly important that we do that. I have said for years, as far as education is concerned, that education as we know it was created in order to make good factory workers, and we no longer need to make good factory workers, and education needs to be kind of torn down to the studs and rebuilt. And I think that one of the ways that we can do that is by electing good public school or public school advocates uh, to positions such as State Board of Education so that we can make certain that the curriculum is what our students need it to be. I want every one of my students to see themselves and their family in the curriculum. And if they can't, then there is a problem. We've been speaking with Michelle Palmer. She is a candidate for Texas State Board of Education seat six. She is in a primary runoff election July 14th, which will then lead up to the November elections. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you, Tony. It was good to talk to you.